So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Come and See Inspirations production being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this, the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is the 27th Sunday in September, the last Sunday in September. My name is John Keeley, and help me to produce the programme this morning. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? No, thanks. I'm looking forward to this programme. It's the first time we'll ever have done a Zoom connection with about three or four other people. This could be a very good programme. In the meantime, welcome again, listeners, and thank you again for joining us. Those of you who listen to us every week, uh, maybe, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're struggling in some way today, we hope we're going to bring you some good news today and some hopeful news. Our programme, of course, as usual, is broadcast on West Limit 102 uh, FM, 10am and 11pm each Sunday. Um, the podcasts of this programme are just some of the Come and See Inspiration podcasts available at, for playback and download on our Come and See Inspirations podcast page. If you want to contact us at all, please do so. Text us on 87 That's 87 Or email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. And of course, as usual, these days, uh, because of restrictions with COVID, we continue to broadcast Mass, and we thank indeed uh, Father Tony Mullins and the parishioners of Abbeyfield Parish for allowing us to join them in their 10 a.m. Mass each Sunday morning. But to continue on with our programme this morning, uh, Shane Ambrose, okay, you've got some bits and pieces of Saints for the Week? Yeah, very quick Saints of the Week this week. So as John said, it's the 27th of September, not the 27th Sunday in September. <laughs> and we're on the Psalter. For those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week two because it's the 26th week in ordinary time. So Monday is the 28th of September. It's the feast day of St. Wenceslas, hymn of the hymns, the carol at Christmas. Bohemian prince killed by his brother and he's the patron saint of brewers and he died around 925 AD. It's also the feast day of St. Lawrence, Ruse and Companions. They are known as the Martyrs of Nagasaki. Uh, yes, that's the city, the second city that was bombed in Japan and people might have seen the shrine to them there that Pope Francis visited during his visit to Japan uh, a while back. Tuesday is the big one this week, folks. It's the 29th of September and it's a feast day and it is the feast days of Saints Michael, Gabriel and Raphael the Archangels. And for me, it's a great, it's one of those days that I particularly like in the church's calendar. Um, obviously, used to have very ancient days in terms of used to be one of the quarter days. Okay, so the three the three archangels, so there's Gabriel, of course, who brought the message to Mary. Uh, he's the patron saint of telecommunications, radio and TV workers. Michael, of course, venerated as a protector of Christians in general, the great prayer to St. Michael that used to be said at the end of Mass, and soldiers in particular. He's the patron saint of radiologists, the sick and paratroopers. And then finally, you have Raphael. Now, Raphael is a particular favourite of mine at the moment. Raphael was the guide to Tobias, and he's the patron of nurses, physicians, and the blind. And he's also uh, also invoked as a patron of the sick and those seeking healing. So I think very appropriate for the times that we are in. Wednesday is the 30th. It's the feast day of St. Jerome, he who translated the Bible into Latin, which was known as the Vulgate, and which was the primary translation of scripture for the Catholic Church right up until the 20th century. He's a patron saint of librarians. And so then on Thursday, which is the 1st of October, where is the year going, John? 1st of October is the feast day of St. Therese of the Child Jesus, 
otherwise known as St. Therese of Lisieux or Little Therese. So obviously very much Therese Martin died at the Carmel in Lisieux in September 1897. Uh, famously, of course, she they wondered what they would say about her when she died. And she's gone on to be one of the doctors of the church proclaimed by John Paul II in 1997. She's a patron of the missions, patron of florists, aviators and of France itself. Finally, then on Friday, for those of you observing your first Fridays, Friday is the first Friday and it's the feast day of the guardian angels. And in particular for the feast day of the guardian angels, uh, people do remember those little ones that have died uh, either um, uh, still uh, births or those that died, children that died young. And of course, as well, also those that have died due to terminations. Uh, then on Saturday, we have the feast day of Blessed Columba Marmion, Irish saint, very much associated. He was a Benedictine saint. And he's named, he was born in Dublin as ordained a priest in Rome, served as a curate up there for a while before interested, entering a Benedictine monastery in Belgium in 1886. And he was elected the abbot uh, of, that, of that monastery. And he has, he's known as a great spiritual writer of the 20th century. And he was beatified in the year 2000 in Rome. And just to note as well that Saturday is the first Saturday for those that are observing the devotions. That's it, John, in terms of celestial guides for the week. Thank you very much indeed, Shane. So we now have a, prayer, a spirit of communion prayer for all those, of course, most of us these days, I suppose, who can't get to Mass this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now, because our, our midst, uh, the, the, the interview that we're going to be conducting in the second part of the programme uh, is rather long this morning, we'll have to go straight into our Gospel reading and reflecting. And we, of course, before that, we'll ask Shane to read this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, Jane. So the Gospel for today, which is the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man had two sons. He went and said to the first, My boy, you go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not go, but afterwards thought better of it and went. The man then then went and said the same thing to the second, who answered, Certainly so, but did not go. Which of the two did the father's will? The first, they said. And Jesus said to them, I tell you solemnly, tax collectors and prostitutes are making their way into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you, a pattern of the true righteousness, but you did not believe him. And yet the tax collectors and prostitutes did. Even after seeing you, even after seeing that, you refuse to think better of it and believe in him. Fred, we don't have any time for any reflection today uh, because in part two of the programme um, we actually had a pretty long interview. 
uh, our first Zoom um, connection we had with uh, with about three or four people this morning. Isn't that later on, Shane? Yeah, so it's our first roundtable this morning. So um, we're delighted to have that uh, in part two of the program and see how it goes. A discussion on what, as a faith community, what have we learned as a faith community from our COVID experience? So join us again in part two for our roundtable discussion. And welcome back, listeners, to Sacred Space 102, a come and see production here for West Limerick 102. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you here on the programme this morning. And we're recording, of course, from our studio here in Arda. And I'm still joined in studio this morning by John uh, Keeley. Good morning, John. Morning, Shane. How are you? Not too bad now. So uh, on this on today's programme, we're kind of doing a bit of a first for Sacred Space 102. We're going to have a couple of people on for conversation at the same time. So it's what we're calling our first roundtable discussion this morning. And it's, it's, I suppose, one of the interesting things, I suppose, over the last couple of months is that we have all uh, been part of a shared experience uh, in Ireland and across the world. And there is an expression from an old friend of the programme, Father Michal Liston, he's, and he said we, we should encourage ourselves to have kitchen conversations. So this morning we're going to have a kitchen conversation at breakfast, around the breakfast table, uh, where we're going to kind of have a chat about our COVID experience as a faith community. And to, ha- to join us this morning around this breakfast conversation, uh, we have three guests on the line. So first of all, we have uh, Aoife McGrath. Aoife, good morning. Morning, Shane. Aoife, is a lec- you're a lecturer in St. Patrick's College in Minute, Isn't that right, Aoife? That's right, yeah. I'm the Director of Pastoral Theology here in Minute. Very good. Our second uh, visitor this morning is Martin Kennedy. Good morning, Martin. How you doing, Shane? Or, yeah. You have many years of experience, Martin. I was trying to figure it out. I gave up. I did kind of advising communities and, and different places on pastoral teams and pastoral development. Yeah, yeah. Near, near, near than 50 years at this stage. So I'm about to hang up my boots. <laughs> Very good. And welcome back to the programme. An old friend, uh, formerly of Limerick Diocese, but now, of course, the director of the Margaret Aylward Centre in Dublin. Good morning, Noreen Lynch. How are you keeping? Good morning, Shane. Good morning, John. It's good to be here. Very Lovely good. Lovely to be here with. Delighted to have you all on the programme. So, as I said at the top, uh, we're just going to have a small kitchen conversation this morning. And I suppose the theme of it is focused very much around the idea of our COVID experience as a faith community. And in particular, I suppose, the context of sharing of faith, the experience of prayer, the sacraments, and coping with the general stresses that we've had pretty much since last February. Um, both as a community and as a faith community. So I suppose, Martin, if I was to throw the floor open, first of all, to you this morning with a kind of a question, I suppose, is as a faith community, what have we done well in the last couple of months? Yeah, I suppose there's two things in particular that strike me. I've I've had the opportunity to consult across a couple of dioceses on on parish experience. And in one diocese, we, we spoke with delegates about 200 delegates over the phone uh, as part of a diocesan assembly. And we just asked them, how are things in the parish? And what uh, they said many things, but one strong thing they said was there's a powerful community spirit. And the gospel value of love of neighbour is very evident in all right through the COVID experience. But what they said I found really interesting was that that the that spirit, that gospel spirit, wasn't dependent on formal church structures, 
to operate. Mm. It, didn't, it wasn't dependent on the priest because very often it was happening in communities where the priest was cocooned. It wasn't dependent on pastoral council because, again, in many the parishes, parish council members are older and are cocooned. But that it was kind of in the fabric of the people and it was expressed through uh, groups, younger groups like the GEA and so on. But uh, I, I thought that was a very positive, powerful thing. Um, and it, it, I suppose what it's saying to me is that that um, if the future has arrived ahead of schedule and if we're already experiencing uh, what's ahead of us in terms of priestless parishes, you know, and, and the absence of formal church structures, that we, we manage fine, mm. that we manage fine in terms of the basics of, of Christian living. Okay. So that was one, and I just one other strong point that I'd like to, to name, and that came from another diocese, it did a survey on the experience of First Communions and Confirmations. We spoke with uh, uh, deaneries across the whole diocese, and uh, what they were saying was this, that the ceremonies almost inevitably were smaller, less elaborate, um, and more intimate and that they went down very well with the families. Um, and I think there's something significant there because my experience with families is that for them, the, those sacramental moments, baptism, first communion, confirmation, they're family events uh, with, with a generational resonance. And the church is there, faith is there, but kind of in the background rather than the foreground. Mm. And what they were looking for, those families, is that the church would focus on family rather than trying to get family to focus on the church. And that these simpler, uh, more intimate ceremonies were closer to the family ideal than the, than, than the former ones. Mm -hmm. So again, I just, I just thought that was, was, was quite an interesting uh, um, uh, experience. I would, I'd have to agree with you there, Martin. I love that idea that it's, you know, it's what, it's coming up from the fabric of the people. It's coming up like the metal very much was coming to the fore. Aoife, from, you know, kind of just reflecting on it, I suppose, what were the kind of, I suppose, your thoughts on what we have done well, maybe, or what have we, what was the, what was the, the good points of the experience that we've had? Um, I think, you know, it was, it was really good in terms of our, our, family and community experiences that we saw a lot of families um, enjoying quality time together. Now, I mean, and my own experience is a little bit different because I live on my own and I was locked down in Maynooth, uh, far away from my family. But um, I did hear anecdotally of many families that, you know, had a lot of, lot of people that um, just moved home, you know, for, for, you know, because of work reasons or something and we're all at home and gathered in different generations, maybe in the one family. So there was something enriching, I think, about that experience and spending quality time. Um, I know there were challenges as well and, and households, the more people that are in them, the, the more mm -hmm. difficult it can be maybe sometimes. But I think that was certainly a, a positive. Um, and certainly as well, there was, there was a lot of uh, um, good experiences around people praying together in the home, like, like Martin was mentioning and, um, you know, new spiritual practices where we were might be reliant in in um in days days before covid um on the old reliable you know whereas we were had to be a bit more creative about how we prayed together um so i think that was another 
kind of positive element. Mm. I have to say now I can I can share with you there as well. I, I was locked down in Dublin, so I, I was I was away from family as well. So it was for me, it was very different experience. Noreen, you were a bit like me. You had, I remember we were talking to you in May and you, you were you were like myself. You were locked down in the capital for some of it as well. But for you, as you know, your experience of those of that, what was the positives I think that might have come out of it? I suppose um, I was. I was in in that seven in Dublin for for the lockdown. And I would say the first lockdown is substantially different to the experience we had in Dublin now. Mm. Um, and and people of Dublin deserve a lot of our prayers, a lot of support because there's a huge, huge struggle um, happening for people uh, who really just find it so difficult at the moment. I think what struck me with the the first lockdown was that that we had a certain amount of resilience and we jumped into stuff. And I think that sense of the GEA becoming involved and the local community becoming involved, um, of doing the right thing, of being good people, that that's who we are. And we got the opportunity to be the best people that we could be. I thought a lot in those first months of Donald Murray describing Lourdes, when you bring the young people to Lourdes, they forget not to be the best person they can be. And the freedom of that, that they, they forget not to be full and, and, and generous and kind. And, you know, I know hundreds of stories of hotels of, places that just said, we're cooking dinners, tell us who needs them. We're, we ha- so all of that stuff went on. I suppose what would strike me, though, is that as church, what was our place in that? Um, and part of what our place is, is to give people an opportunity to not just have the experience, but to get the meaning, to get a sense of depth around it. And that what we are very good at in Ireland is doing church. We're very good at building things and feeding people and making sandwiches after a funeral. What we find very hard is to reflect on what's happening. And when, as, as a church structure, we couldn't do things, there was a tendency to step back and to claim what other people were doing was part of the ministry of the church. Now, it's not saying that we had to formally organise, but I would say that the gift we could give people now is to help them to notice, to mirror back or reflect back who they were being in this time. Because even living alone, you know, you, wrote, you put your phone number under people's doors. I remember going out getting Easter eggs for everyone in the house because there was all these flats and everyone was living on their own. We did daft things. And I think as church, we have a huge possibility to sit with people and say, how was that? Not even what you did, but how did it feel to be that person? Mm. And what do you think that says to you about who you want to be and how you want to go forward as a community? I think one of the dangers or the things we might fall into now at this stage is what I call the old maps. I'm thinking of Joyce Rupp's old maps don't work. That, That sense of how can we get back to the normal? When in actual fact, what Martin has, has, has named there so well and what is catching in her stories too, is the old ways actually worked as long as we were busy. But when we stopped, what we realised was we had a lot of exterior, outside life. And when that stopped, our interior life maybe wasn't very strong. Mm. Our sense of how do I sit with myself for an hour when I don't know what to do with myself for five minutes without a phone? Mm. How do I... And, and there's something profound that we as church and we as... Can, can offer and can say to people, not in terms of putting on more rituals, but in terms of just sitting and being with people and saying, what would help you to recognise how good you've been, what a kind pe- people you are, what you're capable of, and also how complicated and complex you are and that it's okay that this is very frightening. So I suppose that those two things were, were, were kind of going on in me. Mm. The sense of staying with people, helping people to ha- not to miss the meaning in the experience, and also just avoiding that thing of jumping back in and saying, how will we get back to normal? How will every parish get up to full power and make sure all the First Communions happen? Mm. When actually 
a huge amount of what happened in Ireland was the people living on their own went, if I can't go out every night, would anybody notice if I died? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a spiritual existential crisis. Definitely. I, 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 I would definitely agree with you there, Noreen, that there's definitely... We, we've, we've, we've been, as you said, we've been so busy, not even as a church community, but as a, as a society, getting through it. Um, the space to allow people to reflect on that experience and what it has meant for them. I, I don't know if we have necessarily uh, provided that space and scope uh, for people. And not even necessarily as a faith community, but just broader um, as a country, as a society ourselves. And it does kind of, I suppose, link in, I suppose. To, sorry, Martin, you were going to come in there. No, go ahead. I come in when you're finished. Sure, no problem. I was, I was, I was going to say it, it, was, it was linking in kind of necessarily to my next question, which was kind of where were the gaps, or kind of what were the key issues that came up uh, for us as a faith community, and you, you, some of you have touched on it already. So it's that whole idea of we were we were so busy on doing things as church that maybe the space to reflect uh, maybe there and new forms of prayer. But before we go into that, Martin, what were you going to say? Yeah, I suppose I, I challenge Nora in a small bit there in her point. My my own sense from uh, and one of the one of the the exercises that that I had the chance to be involved in was listening to parents, particularly non-mask going parents, and yeah. I was powerfully powerfully struck by the depth of conscious meaning in their lives mm. that they don't need us to be telling them they you know what. What the meaning is of their lives. They're very aware of that. And they would have gathered that from church, but not necessarily through the formal structures, but more through the the generational structures. What they would have picked up from their parents, their parents would have been mass scores. They're not mass scores, but they would have still picked up the depth and values. And and they're very conscious of those. So so I, I, I would say that part of the positivity of of contemporary culture is depth of meaning that has a gospel base, uh, but not necessarily a formal church uh, connection. And the reason for that may be more to do with the church than with the parents or with the people. Mm-hmm. I think we're probably speaking the same language, Martin, I, I don't want to shift, but I guess that would be my sense. My sense is not that there's a need for catechesis or a need for a, a meeting about this. My sense is that people need to be honoured for who they are. And, and given space to, to recognise who they are. That's all. That, mm. that God does the work. It's not our job. And or a lot of the time we put structures around stuff and we'll have meetings to discuss this after this. Is our need to be busy. Mm. So to come out of that and just to, let, to listen to people and let them be where they are and give them space is huge. Aoife? Uh, if I might join that part of the conversation, I'm, I'm thinking that part of it might be an opportunity of giving people space to articulate what it is they have been reflecting about. Because, I mean, the, what you're describing, Martin, is that you, you had the opportunity to listen to others and maybe it was a particular forum or something that they were sharing with you. I think we need to give people the opportunities to articulate their reflection because, I mean, for those of us that were living on our own, there, was, there was, wasn't much you could do but reflect, especially if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're that way inclined. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of conversations, whether it be on, on Zoom or on FaceTime or WhatsApp video calls when you're you're suddenly facing these conversations with your family and friends and even when it's a check-in and how are you coping there was that reflective component of you know how how are we being with ourselves like like Noreen is suggesting so I mean it comes back to me for for thinking about this in terms of um, 
a faith community, it comes back to me that maybe in a in a less formal way and in a more widespread way, we've actually been unknowns to ourselves practicing maybe the synodality that um, we we heard so much about in the period before COVID and we never hear now <laughs> at, at this moment in time. But that idea that we'd um, give it, listen to each other and and um, see where the movement of the spirit is together and you know that kind of idea does that does that make sense? Yeah, to, yeah. To me, that 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 make definitely makes sense. Um, I suppose just kind of just I just kind of kind of keep just things flowing. I suppose I suppose just and building on the points that each of you have made, I suppose is asking the question again: Where are the gaps? Where 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 was it? So we we've we've articulated one point. I suppose is just a, 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 a creating a space, however way it is, so that people can articulate uh, maybe necessarily that experience. Uh, rather than it being handed down to them. But I suppose, as well as that, maybe Aoife, if you wanted to take the lead, like what were the kind of the key issues that came up um, for the gaps, as we call it, you know, in in, in the experience over the last couple of months? I'm not sure whether this counts as a gap or not, but there's something that's been really striking me about the invisibility and invisibility of our activity and participation in our faith communities. I mean, for the most part, we when we think of, the visible in church, it's the, the priests or or those that are in public forms of ministry. You know, we, we look to them maybe to see that what's, um, you know, the different activities of the church. And I think what's been very visible um, in COVID times has been, a, um, you know, the, the social media celebration of masses, you know, um, priests um, having evening prayer, morning prayer and evening prayer. And so certainly those of our of our clergy that have, have been willing and creative and able to to engage with digital platforms and and digital means of of um, connecting with people, I think we've 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 seen that very visibly. Well the invisible I think is what, what Martin was describing earlier. You know, we have to we have to consciously reach out and find out the the different activities that normal everyday lay people um, are involved in in the church. They're not given the same visible platform in in our public forums. You know, the what's happening on the ground, whether it be within, you know, GA groups um, getting together and um, um, reaching out, making sure the most vulnerable in the community had had the food, had someone calling to the door, checking in that they that they were still alive, as mm-hmm. Noreen would say. Um, you know, so I think there was there's a lot that was happening that was invisible. So there's a gap for me, you know, in terms of um, what we what we name as church and what we see as church mm-hmm. between what's visible and what's invisible, and and that there's there's a concern in that for me as well because I mean whether you know, in different dioceses, we we've had different experiences now, um, maybe of, and, and so I think someone mentioned already pastoral councils that, you know, a lot of activity of pastoral councils was was paused during COVID or or other groups within communities. What what we might have have um, more associated with lay involvement is less visible now. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just saying we're not. We can't see it. We, you know, and and 
but our faith as faith communities and you know i'm i'm involved as i said in in um, preparing people for ministry in Minuti as the director of, of pastoral theology and you know trying to to stress to to those preparing for ministry that part of the minister's work is to see god at work in others to enable that um that life and activity and we need to be able to see it and name it and recognize it and there's a difficulty if it's hidden mm-hmm. does that make sense <clears throat> yeah martin yeah I'd, I'd really like to add to what Eva's saying there but i think we have to be conscious of the lens uh, through which we try to see um it, it strikes me that there's kind of two basic lenses around faith uh, and one is what what you might call a desire for um, a faith-centered life. And the, the other is a desire for a life-centered faith. And I think most people on the ground are energized by a life-centered faith. But very often, the kind of the professional class in the church, and it includes myself in that, like I've been 40 or 50 years in ministry, and I've come out of that space of... Um, um, a faith-centered life, wanting God to be at the center, wanting church to be at the center, wanting Jesus and relationship. And all our language as church and all our thinking as church is very often conditioned by that lens, which kind of disvalues where where a lot of folk are at. Mm. And I just think it, that's an important point. And it just yeah. strikes me that COVID has actually liberated the kind of the popular spirituality in that regard. Um, and that the the heaviness of our of our uh, even our our Sunday liturgies. Now I don't mean to be offensive, but but like the language of our Sunday liturgies is so infused with um, a faith centered life that it disvalues, I think, the life centered faith that most people are living. And and they they're just not buying uh, the language of the liturgy. They're not, you know, and they're, they're well able to walk away from it. So, so anyway, I think there's a big question there. But I absolutely uh, agree with what Eva is saying about uh, paying attention to where folk are at. Exactly, Noreen. I, I suppose it's right. I need to, to add to that. Mm. I think one of the things about asking where the gaps are is that actually it was a it was a pandemic, so nobody covered all the bases. And we have to be very kind to one another in that. Mm. Uh, so there's a temptation. Like, I would have a temptation to critique a lot of stuff. Um, but some of that is coming from my need, you know, or from my, my, my need to have an opinion, maybe. And so I'd be very careful. Like, I'd have loads of opinions, but I'd just be careful about saying, most guys did the very best they could. Most parishes did the very best they could. Most families did the very best they could. Um, have, had we had a month to plan for a pandemic, we might have done things differently. Uh, had we had a week off in the middle of the pandemic to look at how we were doing, <laughs> we might do things differently. So I think there's a bit of sitting with that and being kind to each other on it, both um, in terms and that actually, I suppose that the bit that, what, that I'd be holding is that we, exactly what Martin says, that we honour where people are at. But I'd be saying, but as church, we don't try and, and, and claim it and say, the church did loads of stuff. Actually, the, the institution or structure of church, we didn't seem to need it an awful lot. Mm. People had an instinct that they, they knew what was needed and they did that. And we didn't put a lot of language on it. What I think would be helpful, not in a structured way, but in a general, is to give people small amounts of, of tiny bits of reflection that might help them to build a bit of resilience for the winter that's coming. And also that might help them to notice where they have been 
amazing and good and where they have more than they think inside of themselves. So, like, I'd be very struck by a lot of people. We, I did a little survey in the centre. We, we started um, a weekly newsletter in the centre when the pandemic started because I was very conscious of digital poverty. But we had people coming to the centre who didn't like getting emails, let alone would never do Zoom. And they would give out to me that I didn't hand in paper brochures to the church. Like, so therefore, whatever I was doing online was completely excluding them. So I started a weekly newsletter. At least they'd get an email once a week with a nice reflection and a resource. And after 12 weeks, I wrote and said, we did that for 12 weeks. Is that enough? And overwhelmingly, people said in response to what I was saying, would you like yoga? Would you like meditation? Would you like talk series? They said, we want the newsletter. We want a small bit that we can tip into and take mm. a tiny bit from and chew. And the other thing they really wanted was short meditations, three minute videos that they could find somewhere and look at in their own time with their own energy and that they could go back to. Now, I was very struck by Nobody wanted, well, not nobody, very few wanted a talk series on the Bible, even though we we're offering it. Every, very few people wanted to discuss the meaning of life. They wanted to be able to dip in and be fed. They wanted to be able to acknowledge that they are more than functional and logical, that there's something happening within themselves that's, that's deeply mystical and spiritual, that there is something they have discovered, like the sourdough that's bubbling. They have discovered something in themselves in this time that either is quite frightening or quite beautiful, and probably both. Mm. And that they want to be able to have the inner, just a little bit of strength, a little bit of confidence to, to stay with that and say, I'm a grown-up in this world. I'm really not sure I want to be an adult at the moment, but I'm going to have to keep going. So I think there's something in what my mother and father had that might, you know, the way they kept going, there might speak to me. I think there's something in something, a piece of poetry that I heard. I'm, we're doing a little course called Poets as Mystics. And we started it this week. And just to hear people express, and the same thing happened when we did creative writing courses, people just expressing stuff and saying, I don't know what I feel because nobody has ever helped me to put words on how I feel. So I feel all over the place. And to be able to write down some stuff and to throw it away and do nothing actually gives me a bit of release. Or to be able to stay with a piece of, a passage of scripture, if that helps, or to be able to have a short nugget to take. Um, so I'm, I suppose I'd just be saying to be kind to ourselves around the gaps, but also people are looking for small bits of nourishment, mm. not an answer, you know. I, yeah, no, no, that's that's fair enough. Um, I have to say one of the things that did strike me and um, I think you, 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 the three of you might have picked up on it there was I was very conscious and even here on the programme, we were very conscious of a digital divide um, and in terms of being able to support people through it. And as you said, Noreen, to offer those little moments, those little nuggets, because there was a great and very very great, brilliant response in terms of switching to online and being able to connect with people that way and in terms of Facebook masses or just streaming masses or I'd say the sales of church services TV quadrupled during the period. But I suppose also, um, like just from my own experience, I, I have moved out of Dublin now and just even living in rural Ireland and realizing, realizing how exposed you are to poor connectivity for things that you would take for granted if you were online. And we were very conscious of it as well on the programme, of course, because we were, we, we, we still are, thanks to the, the great efforts of Abbey Field Parish, we are broadcasting the Mass on a Sunday. But that for a lot of people, that was actually, for a lot of it, that was the only time they could get uh, un, until things picked up with, with other, supply, with other um, people doing it. But I just, that was something that struck me, is that 
there's 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 almost like <clears throat> divides there in terms of how um communities responded and the resources that were available to communities and a kind of highlighting um I suppose again some of the social disadvantage that's in, kind of in our culture in our communities on a wider level in the country. Mm-hmm. So uh in terms of I suppose just we've 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 gone kind of highlighting some of the the things there that and I love that expression Martin that you had about uh having a life I had faith-centered life. What was the other way you put it, Martin? Life-centered faith life, life, and faith-centered life. That yes. was it. I got my faith the wrong way around. I had re- I, I to get I to get me tongue tied as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, I suppose, the whole thing about it as well that struck me was um, within the midst of every um, period of change and within the midst of every time of intense uncertainty, there lies the seeds for great opportunity and particularly i suppose from a faith point of view for us it's the basic it's the grain that you know the single grain that dies that can produce a great harvest you know the whole concept that we have around calvary the destruction of calvary and the great result of it which was the empty tomb on the easter morn and i suppose one of the things with covid is that some people have described it as a social accelerator in terms of the things the impact is going to have on how we see understand and perhaps how we live the lives that we lead so I suppose, Doreen, if you want to kind of start off on this one, is kind of like the way forward for us as a faith community, if we were kind of looking at the opportunities that are there for us to kind of that have come out of this experience, maybe what would be one or two that might would strike you on it? Okay, this is always deadly because it's easy to have notions, then you have to try and put them into action. But there's a couple of things that, that, that have been striking me and going on for me. Around liturgy and public prayer as such, around public, I'm just going to say public prayer practical and, and prayerful, but around public prayer, the thing that has struck me that sometimes with liturgy, what we have focused on is that every parish must do something, when in fact we could do a couple of things really well if we came together a little bit. Um, but I get the need for every parish to do something. So I've just been thinking in terms of Easter, when everybody did something, when in actual fact, I would say as somebody who was living on my own in Dublin, uh, I went through quite a few different Easter journeys and, and in a lot of them there was a webcam and you could hear people talking in the distance. And so that thing of maybe needing, if we're going to, if this is something that we're continuing, if people are continuing, maybe to really, as leadership, sit and go, well, what's the experience like for people and how can we share very simple liturgy that actually is not about doing everything but is about the connection. So that's one thing. I would say in terms of liturgy as well, that funerals have been probably the most horrendous part of this and the loneliest part of this. And we have a country full of people who are grieving very deeply and who haven't been able to process it. I wonder if even during November, rather than saying, let's you know put on an event for November, a few small bites that people can dip into, a few small things across the time that like once a month, the parish has a little, as an evening where you, a candle can be lit at home and everybody's remembered or once a week or whatever. But just that sense of, an ongoing bereavement that in liturgy we could do something. And then the another thing that strikes me is just uh, we used our social media, our Zoom or whatever else a lot for for Mass, which is central and very important. But the notion that we could share our Facebook page with a family happened, but happened rarely. The notion that we could invite 
an older couple in the parish to need rosary happen, but rarely. So what I'm saying is as a liturgy group, maybe that group could gather on Zoom and, and start to look at what are people's needs? How can we connect in small ways? Not in huge ways, very simple. A lighted candle and a hymn song can be far more powerful than having a really big ceremony with two or three people trying to do all the parts. The other thing I'd say, I'm really finished, is in terms of connecting faith and life, there's a real danger that we make the cocooned into people that we only pray that they won't get sick and they're kind of they're, they're like the audience. I would love to see those who can't be out and about be drawn into some kind of prayer ministry, you know, some kind of sense that they actually contribute rather than they must be kept apart and kept alive because they're so good and they've been so I'm just amazing and strong and brave. My own parents are just fantastic. They just are such a great witness. I would love, for example, that a parish might say, the winter's going to be tough. Let's dig up a plot of land and invite every family to plant bulbs and that we mind it as a community and we show up. And then when the flowers come up in the spring, we say, didn't we do well? That we do very physical things that actually can get somebody who says, I'm not ever going to be great at putting words on stuff, but I can take care of the plants. I can take care of the community and show that I believe that even if the winter is tough, we have, as a, as a faith community, we know that life comes out of death and that there's hope and that we can get through. Um, I think that that kind of just connectivity, I, I would suggest that like more and more when we talk about all the work that's been done, that instead of saying like, you know, almost there's stuff happening over here and then there's, there's church happening over at the other side, that we bring a lot of what's happening into our prayer and into that we give thanks for what's happening more in it just verbalise what's happened locally. I think probably the thing that strikes me most, and I'll finish with this, is to say that what people need is companionship, is people walking the journey with them. I think pilgrimage is a really good image, that Amos image of pilgrimage, of walking the road together and trying to make sense of what happened. Um, and Pope Francis has a, has a, a, a great line in something he did recently. He said, uh, just like the disciples tell us, the Lord will accompany us in the future through his word and the breaking of bread. And he will say to us, do not be afraid, for I have overcome death. So I think anything that's accompaniment, anything that's allowing people to be themselves and to be where they're at on the road is going to be really useful for the time ahead. And that a lot of what that requires is exactly what Martin said at the start, that listening of staying with people um, and listening to where they're at. Okay, Martin, do you want to come in on that one? Um, well, there's a whole lot there in what, what Noren is saying. I might just focus on one thing that strikes me strongly. I think there'd be a huge value in paying close attention to the experience of the sacraments this year. I take Noreen's point about funerals as being easily the most painful aspect. Um, but I think uh, the, how baptisms, how communions and how confirmations have been done uh, during the COVID has been much more about church focusing on family than church looking for family to focus on church. Um, yeah. And that there's something powerful there to learn because the, the sacraments are the key popular religious moments. They're where, if you like, church and popular culture are most uh, strongly connected. And that, that a very careful uh, paying attention to what has connected with folk this year, I think, would be really valuable uh, in the years ahead. I, it seems to me it's abundantly clear that we're at the end days in terms of the kind of church we knew. We're not going to have the resources or the personnel to sustain the kind of structures that we've had in the past. And we're certainly not don't have the authority to impose ourselves in the way we did in the past. 
and that there has to be a huge humble listening to the depth of the spirit in the people. And uh, I, I believe uh, that there is a fabulous future for gospel in the uh, in the in the future, in the culture, and I believe there's a future for church as an agent of the gospel, uh, but it'll be very different. But uh, but I think uh, there's a gift in the COVID that is worth uh, worth uh, spending time with. Eva, yeah, it just strikes me. I mean, when when Noreen used the word a compliment, my my students are are probably sick of hearing me talking about Pope Francis and and the art of a compliment. But there's definitely something in COVID that we've um, we've experienced loneliness and we've experienced isolation and we've experienced um, for 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 some loss and grief um, in a new way. And I think we can we we're learning how to be more empathic with other people and more compassionate towards others and recognizing the difficulties that people. Um, go through on a day-to-day basis just to literally keep going. So I think we have a greater appreciation for that now. And, you know, when Pope Francis talks about everybody in the church being initiated into this art of a compliment where we, we, we look with Christ's eyes on others and we, you know, show Christ's compassion and his, 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 his personal gaze um, on others, I think we're learning how to do that, and the entire church, like Martin has talked about, it's not just the professionals, it's not just the ministers. We're really, truly learning how to do that and to to accompany one another. And I think, you know, if if the institutional church was to try and, um, to, you know, as as we move forward and we learn to live with COVID because I think that is what we need to do. I think we need to stop waiting to, for the post-COVID period. I think we need to to live with COVID and, you know, you know, face the reality that we may have future coronaviruses and future pandemics and, and how can we be church and how can we be with each other and accompany each other based on what we've been learning about how we've been living over these last few months and bring that learning with us and if like we're talking if we've more opportunities to have these kind of conversations and to to reflect together and and you know learn from each other and how we've been accompanying others if that makes sense and um, then i think we'll be doing very well so I, it's not as anything as specific as as Noreen's uh, really great ideas but it's something more general about us um, where we've been learning by doing in terms of um, living this art of accompaniment, I think. Definitely, I'd, I'd agree with you there that, you know, accompaniment is very much you you have to walk with the persons. And like you said, Noreen, at the start, I think for many people, it was our ability to be able to do that was somehow circumscribed in how we used to do it. And funerals, of course, were a great example um, that, you know, in terms of how we've, we've, we've learned and we've adapted and with something last week on last week's program we had sister helen uh, kilhan from the children's grief project here in limerick and she was making that very point as well that how and we, we had her on talking specifically on the area of grief and it was one of the key things that she was saying that our our way of adapting and coping with something as specific as that we would have to be imaginative in how we learned new ways of doing it again and of course, that's the great thing, of course, about human nature and human societies. We are resilient. 
Like, you know, who would have thought that we would have been able to cope with all the changes and the restrictions that we've had over so many months, yet we've coped, we have managed. Now, granted, there have been times where we, maybe we haven't coped as well as we would have thought, um, but, you know, we're, we're getting through it slowly but surely. And like you said, Noreen, it's, I suppose, that idea of facing into the winter is that we need to build our own resilience uh, to be able to face into that and what may or may not come uh, in, in, in the next couple of weeks. John, you were going to come in there. Yeah, good evening, guys, again. Uh, lovely listening to that uh, beautiful conversation. Um, just listening to it, there, there was a number of things that struck me. One of them was, and I mentioned it by a few times, it was about listening to people. My own experience has been, for these last few weeks, months, in fact, decided right at the start to ask a local priest if he would allow us to tap into the church services. So our 10 a.m. slot of a Sunday morning was, was devoted, the first 40 minutes was to Mass from Abbeyfield Parish. After that, I had 20 minutes. For that 20 minutes, I played back something that maybe I'd picked up maybe on Spirit Radio. I might have picked it up on some other church services, homily. I might have picked up an, an interview from somewhere. I picked up lots of music, maybe a bit of poetry. And then we finished off the program. And that was about 20 minutes. The amount of feedback guy that I, the guys that I got from that was tremendous. These were people, I met people, who said they don't go to Mass. And look, this Mass isn't so bad, like. You know, uh, what, what I'm saying is, I think we have to listen to these people. I met people who were afraid to go to Mass because, obviously, of the restrictions of my own age. They liked it. It might have been the music. It might have been the interviews, whatever. All I'm saying is this. My experience has been people wanted to be connected. They wanted to be connected with their church. And maybe it was because they weren't listened to before or as a few of the participants said there this evening, maybe there was no forum available for them to be listened to. Somehow, I think, as church, from my experience, we have to be open to that. And sometimes I know it's been pastoral councils have been offered that, but maybe there's some guys out there who are afraid to go on pastoral councils. Somehow we've got to be able to tap in and to what they're all about. And I think it was Martin or somebody said, these people, are, these people are, have been created by God and, and they're a gift to us all. We can't ignore those. But anyway, listen. Lovely to be part of the program, Shane, and let you finish up maybe for the last few seconds. Sure, guys. Listen, thank you so much for joining us this morning on our, our kitchen conversation. It was a pleasure to have the three of you with us on the program. Um, so, as I said, so we're, we're going to draw this part of the program to a close. So just 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 again, a round of thanks. Uh, Aoife, Aoife McGrath from, from Minute. Martin. Martin, what part of the country are you actually in? Is it Cavan? And just outside of Kilishandra. Kilishandra, that's what I was going. And the neighbour, and the neighbour, the new bishop up here, Martin Hayes. Oh, yes, the man. Ah, uh, the best of men, a great fellow. <laughs> <laughs> and Noreen, thank you so much for joining us from Dublin. Uh, uh, from from, from uh, it was great again to have you on the program, folks. We could, might have you on again, either collectively or individually. Uh, once you've come on the program, you'll never let we never let you go, as Noreen will testify. <laughs> We're delighted yeah. to have you and delighted for your sharing with us this morning on uh, Sacred Space here on West Limerick 102. So as usual, we will go out with our final piece of music. And this morning, maybe what else could we do but go out with a beautiful piece of music by Dan Moen? And this one is entitled "God Will Make a Way." So from us all, thank you again for joining us. God bless you all. Have a good week. Bye.